Hello, this is Rabbi Rob Doberson, and welcome to this edition of Wrestling and Dreaming. And in this edition of the podcast, I want to focus on one word in this week's Torah portion of Parshat Naso and talk about the great significance that this one word can have. I'm going to wrestle with it a bit and wrestle with an understanding of it that Rashi brings to us. And then I'm going to take Rashi's commentary. I'm going to take it even further. But first, let me pose a situation to you and have you consider how you would respond to it. You walk into your boss's office unannounced and your boss has his or her back to you and they're talking to themselves. What, what are your options? Do you sneak out and say, I'll come back later to yourself? Or do you sneak out and then walk right back in, but this time knock on the door really loud so that it they are interrupted and aren't embarrassed at having been seen talking to themselves? Or do you give it a soft cough <clears throat> that they would see that there was somebody else in the room and would stop? Or would you have the kind of relationship with your boss where you would say, hey, boss, let me in on it. Why are you talking to yourself? Which one would you do? I would assume probably not the last one unless you had a very, very close relationship and very secure relationship with your boss. But nonetheless, think about what you would do. Now let's take a step back and talk about Hebrew grammar. The Torah is written without vowels. It was originally written without spaces between the words as well, but that's another story. It's written without vowels. The vowels were added in by a group of sages called the Masoretes. Time frame is a little bit unclear. Some people say, most people say, 5th century CE and beyond. And what the Masoretes did was they took the text in the Torah without vowels and added vowels and other grammatical marks into it so that people who were not as fluent in Hebrew could understand the text better. That's what appears in a humash that we have in the synagogue, a text with vowels, because it makes it easier to read. The other thing that it does is it enables people who are going to read from the Torah, where there are no vowels, to practice ahead of time so they know they're getting the words correctly. Because you can get a general sense of what the Torah is speaking about if you know enough Hebrew without the vowels. But in terms of reading it precisely, which is what we want to do with the Torah, the Masoretes were the ones who produced the, uh, the uh, sanctions, so to speak, addition of the Torah, telling us this is the way each word should be pronounced. By the way, just as an aside, Hebrew newspapers in Israel don't have vowels. Hebrew novels that are printed don't have vowels. They will occasionally add the vowels in if there's a word that could have been misunderstood because the verb, the, the form of, let's say, a verb is an unusual form, or if it's a word taken from another language or a name where you wouldn't necessarily know what the proper pronunciation of that name was. So if you see a novel in Hebrew, the vast majority of it is written without vowels. Occasionally, there's a word with vowels, and that's a clue that there's either something unusual about the word or it comes from another language. Okay. The Masoretes usually played it straight. It says what the word is. This is how it's pronounced. But occasionally, it appears that the Masoretes also had a goal in mind, and that is to settle 
some potential theological or philosophical conflicts that the word might, pre might pre uh, present if it was pronounced the way that it appears it should be pronounced according to the text. I know that was complicated, so let me give you an example. In the book of Deuteronomy, where the discussion is about going up to Jerusalem for the three festivals, we read these words. Shalosh pamim bashana kol Three times a year, on the three festivals, all your males shall appear. The word is in the nifal form, the passive voice form in the Hebrew. So it's not the more common active voice, will see, but rather it's the passive voice, will be seen, will appear. Why didn't they leave it as year eh, as to see? Because in fact, the rest of the verse grammatically works better, in fact, perfectly for a pa active voice verb, but not well for a passive voice verb, because what follows the verb is a direct object, and passive voice verbs are not followed by direct objects. But the idea is, the belief is, and I, I go along with this theory, that the Masoretes changed the more obvious pronunciation of the word from an active voice verb to a passive verb because they didn't want people to think that they would actually see the face of God. That's the way the verse reads, but we know that God's face cannot be seen. So the Masoretic reading is a passive voice verb, Yerah will be seen, will appear before the Lord your God, but the rest of the verse seems to point to the more proper usage of an active voice verb. That, however, again, would present a philosophical problem, a theological problem, so the Masoretes used the less common and more complicated passive voice verb. Okay, now let's talk about this week's Torah portion. There is an oddity in the last verse of this week's Torah portion, and I'm going to read you the words. Uvevo Moshe Elohel Moed ledaber ito, when Moses went into the tent of the meeting to speak with God, Moses heard the voice addressing him from above the cover that was on top of the Ark of the Pact between the two Kruvim. Thus, he, God, spoke to him, Moses. So the verse is pretty clear. Moses walks into the tent of meeting and here's the voice of God speaking to him from that certain place, and that is the way God spoke to him. And those last words, for Yedaber Elav, just finishes the story. This is the way, in fact, God spoke to Moses. And God is the subject of that phrase, and Moses is the object. However, there is something unusual. And the something unusual is the word Midaber has a what's called a dagesh, in the Dalet. The word midaber is the word which is translated as speaking. Moses would hear the voice, presumably of God, speaking to him. But the word normally would appear as midaber without what's known as a dagesh, a dot in the Dalet. So the question is, why is the dagesh there? Why is there a dagesh in the Dalet? Why is there a dot in the letter Dalet? Now, I looked in the concordance, which shows every word that's used in the Bible, and the vast majority of times, the word midaber, which simply means 
one speaks, one talks, or talking, does not appear with a dagation, the Dalit. There are only a few occasions where it does. So why is it here? Well, there's one possible reason that I want to share with you. And it is based upon the idea that the dagesh, a dot in a Hebrew letter where one would not expect it, because by the way, there are places where one would expect a dot. Anybody who knows the Hebrew alphabet knows that it's a vet unless there's a dot inside of it, in which case it becomes a bet. Or it's a fe unless there's a dot in the middle and then it becomes a pe. Daleg, at least the way we pronounce Hebrew, is pronounced the same whether there's a dagesh or not, except for the fact that dagesh has the, has the impact of doubling the letter. So truthfully, the way it should be pronounced is middaber. Not midaber, but middaber, with almost as if there's two sounds of dalad, of D, one ending the first syllable and one beginning the second syllable. So what's the dagesh doing there? Well, according to Hebrew grammar, one of the purposes of a dagesh can be to replace a letter which has dropped out of the word. A letter preceding the word with the uh, with preceding the letter with the dagesh drops out and is replaced with the dagesh doubling the letter that follows. That may sound a little bit strange, but it is exactly what Rashi comments about this dagesh. And now we're going to get into the commentary of Rashi. Rashi says, the reason there is a dagesh is because there's a letter left out, and the letter left out is a taf. He says, kimo mit daber. Not just mit daber, but mit daber. Which would mean, if you know some Hebrew, to, could mean to speak to yourself. Because mit is a, the, the prefix for a reflexive verb in Hebrew. Ani mit labesh. I'm dressing myself. Ani mit I'm washing myself. So mit daber could mean I'm speaking to myself. And whether it can or can't mean that, that's the way Rashi takes it. Because he specifically says that God is midaber beino levenatzmo. God is speaking between him, uh, excuse me, between God and God's self. I don't know any other way to say it without getting myself into trouble with pronouns. So let's just say between God and the divine self. Rashi says this is what's going on. Moses walks in on God midaber, walks in on God speaking to God's self. And then what happens? And now go back to that exercise I gave you at the beginning. Moses walks in and sees his boss talking to the divine self. And what does Moses do? Does Moses walk away? Does Moses cough a little bit? No. Moses actually speaks to God. And now I'm going into my commentary on Rashi's commentary, my extension of Rashi's commentary. Those last two words, vayadaber love in the verse, which we translated as this is the way God spoke to Moses, I'm now translating differently. Moses walks in and hears God speaking to the divine self, vayadaberi love, and Moses spoke to God. Moses interrupted God speaking to God's self and speaks to God. And what does Moses say? What could Moses say? And again, now I'm operating on my own idea of a fanciful interpretation based upon Rashi's idea that Moses walks in on God talking to God's self. And here's what I would like to say, like to assume Moses said to God. 
something like this. Ribono Sholalah, master of the universe, you don't have to talk to yourself. You can talk to me. Whatever your dreams, whatever your hopes, let me in on them, and I'll pass them along to your people, and we will help to make them come true. Moses, in essence, says to God, you may be one, but you are not alone. You created human beings to further your goals and your dreams for the world. That's what I'd like to believe that Moses said to God. Believing in a personal God on a personal level can mean many things, but when we look at it, step back and look at it from a theological perspective, I think the most important idea that believing in a personal God can bring us is the idea that we are partnering with the source of creation to achieve that source's goal for the world. It's the idea that with the creation of the human being, God no longer had to talk to the divine self, but has a creation with which to share dreams and goals with for the world. We don't hear God talking directly as did Moses, but God speaks to us through the highest ideals and aspirations. And we, in essence, tell God, we want to share in that conversation and bring to fruition the goals and dreams you have for the world. Until next time, thank you.